Minds of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just the starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. I'm always looking for feedback on the show. If you have any questions, comments, or even guess whom you would like to see me interview in a subsequent show, just drop me a line on Twitter. My Twitter handle is James underscore HSU. That's James underscore HSU. I am more than happy to talk to you about any questions you may have about the show. This week, I had a very special podcast episode with Damon Whitby, also known as Parcher. I was a little bit starstruck for this one because having been playing almost exclusively Legacy for most of my competitive time in Magic, I just really loved the fact that he was one of the the first people that made 1.5 and Legacy into what it was. You know, as as someone who started off just learning the format and trying to get a sense for what decks or strategies were viable. I always remembered Parcher's name on, on the forums. You know, there was the Hatfields, there were, there was Dan Cunarini, uh, there was Anwar, and a bunch of other names. And then there was Parcher, Damon Whitby. Uh, so I think this is was a very important episode for me personally, just to learn about his process. And he's a little bit of a a person with an unorthodox background, and you'll you'll get a sense for that when you listen to the episode. He didn't have the traditional, typical middle class background. He got into magic actually pretty late. It was uh, it was actually in his in his uh, mid twenties that he started to play the game. But he had, as we were talking, I think I just felt like I there there was a lot of interesting stuff that came out and i think it was one of the better interviews that i've done so far on the show because he really opened up um we were talking about different players and his background and a lot of things along the way and we got into life philosophy how magic mirrors life and just a lot of interesting things and the thing that I was really struck by was you know i had talked to damon online and he seemed very honest and open and in a talk like this uh, a conversation he was the same way so I like the fact that he really just told it like it was you know there was no filter and I think that's really refreshing in this day and age so yeah we talked about a lot of things we talked about 1.5 legacy we talked about players that he's interacted with um yeah, I think most of the interview I decided not to edit because there's just a lot of good content in there. A little bit longer than the usual talk, but I didn't want it to stop. So, yeah, without further ado, this is Damon Whitby, and I think we had a pretty good talk. You be the judge. All right, let's go.
Damon, how's it going, man? I'm hanging in there. How are you doing, James? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I look forward to uh, learning from you today. I uh, hope I can live up to it. Yeah. Uh, so on this uh, Friday night, whereabouts are you? I am in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Uh, it's a suburb. Uh, as the crow flies, it's about seven, seven miles north of D.C. Okay, very cool. Uh, how has how are things going for you recently? Oh, not too bad. You know, it's Friday night, tired. You know, long week at work. Yeah, I mean, thanks for making the time to talk to me. I know it's uh, probably not the the best thing to do on a Friday night, but uh, I uh, I yeah, I hope we can uh, have a good a good conversation. So, I'm not worried about it. Okay, so uh, actually, before I begin, do you prefer Damon or Parcher or some combination? No, Damon is Damon is fine. Okay. But the only reason Parcher still stays is because <laughs> some years ago, all these douchebags that decided they want to be a name started changing their screen names to their personal names uh, so everyone would know who they are, and I just refused to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh because yeah, no, you know, nobody on forums uses their real name, and all these magic players started making their screen names their real name, and I just thought that was just egotistical as hell. So, you know, right? It's the internet, right? They're they're not you're not supposed to be you're supposed to be kind of anonymous. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it's just you know, uh, like most things are all involved in you know, a, a community like this, everybody who's meant to know who you are knows who you are, you know? Yeah. Uh, do people call you Parcher face-to-face, like, when they... No, it took me, like, five years to break the Hatfields from it, but no, nobody calls me Parcher in, in real life. Okay. Well, this is a real-life thing we're doing, so I'll, I'll call you Damon. <laughs> <laughs> That works. All right, man. So I guess uh, I'll kind of just start from the beginning. I want to learn a little bit about your your background. Obviously, you have some impressive legacy achievements, but how about we just start from the beginning? Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, uh, you know, your family background, your childhood, all of that. All right. Uh, I actually lived until I was about six in uh, the Arlington area, which is a uh, basically the Virginia side of where I am now, just south of D.C. Uh, then when I was six, uh, I moved to Seattle and lived there until I was about 15 and then moved back to the uh, the yeah, southern Maryland area and I've pretty much lived there ever since. Okay. What was the reason for going to moving to Seattle? Uh, well, when I was six, my parents got divorced. Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of putting it mildly. <laughs> my dad was a, a hustler, I guess would be the best word. You know, one of those guys always out for the quick buck. Um, not really a great guy. Uh, I mean, don't have too many childhood memories of him uh, from like three to five, I guess he was in prison for interstate drug trafficking. Okay. Um, 
And when he got out, I mean, he was a drunk, violent guy. But that's actually not why they got divorced. They got divorced was even worse. Um, my mom got diagnosed with MS. And my dad left because he said he couldn't be with a cripple. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. So, actually, my mom found a new guy who happened to be... He was a... Uh, helicopter pilot and was down here for work or something and they headed off but the main bulk of his work was uh in the seattle area um and we ended up moving there uh that didn't work out uh and then since uh my mom was um you know falling into her illness so to speak she really couldn't work so it was you know a difficult time financially mm-hmm. and then she ended up hooking up with a guy from this area who she knew from before and had stayed in contact with and we came back to the area because of family every now and then and they you know eventually formed a relationship, you know, in a more romantic way, I guess. And we moved back here. Um, like I said, you know, when I was like 15 or so. I see. Did you have any childhood memories of Seattle or were you too young to remember? Well, I do, but it's funny because they're so inapplicable to anyone who asks about it now. And by that, I mean, my childhood memories are of the park or the candy store down the street, you know, not stuff that adults care about. If you think about it that way, you know, I don't, I don't remember, you know, the, the, you know, amazing air and space museum they have there because it, you know, 10 years old, you know, it's not that interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, uh, we actually lived in a place called Kent, uh, which was sort of the housing area for a great majority of the people who worked at Boeing and Lockheed. Um, and I remember (laughs) taking the bus to school and seeing a human chain surrounding Lockheed of like protesters Mm. Uh, you know, but not, not too much, uh, of, of, of like local flavor outside of that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you were pretty young back then, so, uh, that's, that's fine. And, uh, and I'm also wondering, um, you know, you mentioned some of the background with, uh, your family and your mom. Um, how's your mom doing these days? Uh, are you guys still in touch? Yeah. She passed of cancer about 10 years ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah, it's she. You know, was sick for a long time. It's you know, okay, is what it is. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, so we moved back here, and coming into high school, you know, your first year, you know, in a brand new place, it's pretty difficult uh, for any kid, you know. Mm-hmm. But I ended up. Uh, hanging out with a lot of punks, uh, both figuratively and uh, literally, uh, like punk rock. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like yeah. they were young punks, but I mean, also like you know, shaved head and mohawks, 
uh, headbanger stuff like that uh did you, you have know. the mohawk as well no i i have the shaved head okay um uh, and then you know ended up getting in a in a lot of trouble <laughs> to be honest uh you know booze and drugs and you know, trouble with the cops here and there, you know, mostly kids stuff, yeah. burglary and, uh, you know, well, burglary was like breaking into a construction site to mess around, you know, cause, but just, you know, uh, a lot of stupid young stuff, you know, getting into fights all the time. I mean, but I mean, we didn't even think of it that way. I mean, uh-huh. we used to fight each other for fun. It was just a thing to do, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a stupid thing to do, but you know, it wasn't uh, you know thinking of like uh, we're criminals, we're badasses, we're just dumb kids, you know, mm-hmm. with nothing better to do. How were you uh, feeling at that time? Like, just in terms of uh, your mentally, I mean, it's kind of hard to go back and and think about it, but uh, what was going on in your in your head or feelings wise at the time? Not a lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the problem was I, I was a smart kid back in the day. And then, you know, I, I'm not trying to make it sound like any sob story or anything, but, you know, having, you know, a very uprooted, you know, violent, childhood uh made me um more lost than anything you know just not that i was like looking for something i just didn't care you know yeah when when nothing's going good in your life you you don't have anything really to care about so you know if you you know get beat up or, you know, get arrested or anything. It's not that important. You don't feel like you're losing anything. Mm -hmm. So that went on for a while. And then, uh, my senior year in high school, uh, there was this guy, Joe Smith, who used to hang out with us all the time in school. And he liked the same things and he, but he didn't really do stuff with us after school. And the reason why it was, even though he was sort of the same clique, so to speak, as us, his parents were devout Mormons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back to his place one time because he didn't live far. And we were hanging out. And then he took me into his basement. And his father, you know, uh, being a devout Mormon, developed other hobbies his big one was historical war games, uh, both board-based and like tabletop. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much what we think of nowadays. This was all uh, Civil War, Napoleonics, uh, ancient you know battles, like literally like Sumerians and stuff like that. All uh, you know tabletop games, mm-hmm. and that was my real introduction into you know gaming itself besides you know being a a kid playing some video games i'd never had any interest in anything like that before yeah uh so joe really got me into that i mean playing 
And, you know, of course, being, you know, younger, we were more interested in the like fantasy side of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's we just would spend hours and hours setting up battles and playing them and then playing all the classic, you know, board games, you know, Axis and Allies and whatnot. Okay. Uh, so that was my my main introduction into gaming i suppose mm -hmm. uh were you very competitive when you played board games with joe like did you want to beat him every every game every match or was it still uh uh or you guys were just trying things out and well i i've i've got two older brothers so i'm really competitive with everything but i wasn't really competitive with joe simply because he had grown up with this stuff and I was just as new as could be. So if I didn't get completely blown out, I was happy. I see. You know, so there was really no, you know, no comparison. Okay. Could, couldn't really be competitive, you know. I sure. Was, I mean, you were the, the newer player, the, the novice player. Yeah. And how did you, uh, what, what did you find most interesting about these board games? Like, I know Joe introduced them to you, but but what what was the what was the thing that really attracted you to 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 playing these games? Well, there there were two parts: the creative part and the tactical part. Um, the creative part being um, army lists. You know, uh, every game was different. You know, but you know, it, it's different than you know a board game, obviously, where everything's fixed. But in 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 you know, tabletop miniatures games, you usually have set lists either from historical battles where you mimic exactly what they had and you have tons and tons of those lists and you just pick one or they're based on a point system, you know, and creating those and getting them exactly how you wanted, um, you know, was, was a lot of fun learning all the ins and outs, um, you know, sort of my introduction to deck building. I guess, <laughs> yeah, I was like. going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Corollary. Uh, and then, of course, the tactical part, um, putting those those armies into action um, on the board. Uh, you know, strategy was way more in the construction part because on the table, it's all tactics. Uh, and, you know, there's the only hidden information... Um, and those games came in like the the sci-fi and fantasy games because in historicals you'd see a you know union soldier you know what it is and union can you know what it is mm -hmm. if you see you know a guy with a sword it might be a magic sword or what you know mm -hmm. so that 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 came later um, we just didn't have access to that stuff because Joe's dad wasn't interested in it and we it's not like we had money for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that went on through the end of high school. Uh, uh, then uh, both Joe and I had little to no prospects, so we joined the Army. Um, I'm sure people know this by now, but back then when they tell you the buddy system, uh, it's a fucking lie. Uh, when they tell you, <laughs> if you recruit your friend, we'll make sure you two stay together. No, it's, that's, that's, that's not true. It's not true. So you um, and Joe, you and Joe went into it expecting to be buddies and uh, attached to the hip. 
and it didn't happen. Right. Didn't happen. Okay. I was in the army for a while, uh, got out and came back, was working and going to Maryland. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, uh, Maryland had a games workshop on campus at the time, which was just heaven, you know, yeah. uh, workshop being, you know, Warhammer 40 K. Uh, and it was like in their heyday before they got so huge and, and, uh, sort of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, their, their top down control just ruined the experience for actual gamers, you know? So just for uh, reference, yeah. Damon, what, around what year was that? Like, um, because I, I, uh, I remember very, very vividly, like when games workshop was, was huge. And so I, I'm curious, uh, th well, this was before they were huge. Oh, okay. uh, this was, yeah, this was when they were still, they only had, I think four stores in the U S this was like 94. Oh, really? Okay. And I mean, yeah, it was great because they just, we did whatever we wanted. We just played games all day. Um, and then one day, uh, this kid, and I say kid, you know, he's a high schooler, comes in with the famous shoebox full of rubber band cards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as the. Uh, my guess is going to be it was uh, around beta era. Um, and, you know, it was something to do when you couldn't get a table or anything. They, this was very absolute basic. I mean, the only thing, you know, we didn't know half the rules, I'm sure. Uh -huh. And uh, the only thing we knew about deck building was we figured out pretty quickly to stick with one color. Oh, okay. Um <laughs> that that was that was that was about it. We were just, you know, not being able to to cast spells was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are ahead of the curve then, because I, I I still remember playing people with people playing with like two hundred card decks, you know, with uh, you know like three or four colors. So yeah, well, I mean, we had we had like I said, we had basics of strategy from the, the war games. Yeah, we figured out much, but it was basically just cast your guy, attack with your guy, your turn type of stuff. Okay. Um, and, and to be honest, really didn't hold my interest for all that long. Okay. It wasn't as uh, deep as like maybe some of the war games that you, you've been playing, right? Yeah, not at all. You know, it was, it was a fun diversion. It was something new. But at, at the time, you know, honestly, the rules weren't all that great for magic to begin with and by great i mean they weren't defined well at all back then mm -hmm. uh we had a very very intricate you know advanced gaming system from games workshop mm -hmm. you know to where like magic is now <laughs> right. uh so obviously i gravitated to the to the other so it was just um, like something that you played to pass the time like between getting it yeah like it was fast yeah, like somebody else just playing regular cards i mean that's about how serious we took it right but do you remember like what are some of the the initial decks or colors that you you ran was it black or was it something else uh green and white i think green and white uh, oh man that's very uncharacteristic i was expecting <laughs> you to say black but yeah it was yeah well to be honest we really didn't play many spells and by Screechers. spells i mean non-green 
yeah, okay. yeah, it was mostly just creatures. And of course, back then, you know, the cool big, you know, creatures were in green and white as far as the uh, common ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plus, there was always that that dick uh, who had, you know, way more money than everybody else, you know, who would buy buy out stuff. And, and buying out stuff was a real thing back then. I mean, people talk about now how like small the print runs were, uh-huh. but you, you, you know, magic was pretty popular for its novelty, uh, even back then. And it was really hard to get like the, the, the local comic book store was the one who, who got it, you know, and being that there were no magic vendors back then, every store only got a very small amount and it was gone instantly. Mm-hmm. So unless you could afford to buy it, all of it at once, you know, you would miss out a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so that was, that was it for that as far as, as magic goes. And how'd you go from magic to actually playing maybe more competitively, like with the scene or with the tournaments? Just, just curious. Well, as, as the, the years went on, there was a huge boom for, uh, collectible card games. Um, and my local store started, you know, selling all of them. Uh, Legend of the Five Rings, uh, Netrunner, the original. Yep. Um, uh, the original Star Wars uh, from the Cypher. Uh, Highlander, one of my personal favorites. I'm, I'm a big Highlander geek regardless but the game was <laughs> i remember that inquest magazine had all these things about highlander i even had like some of the promo cards <laughs> yeah it, it was bizarre it was thunder castle had perhaps the worst distribution of any card game in history <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding i mean it was fantastic oh i bad. believe you <laughs> but the rule system was great mm-hmm. and the card game was a lot of fun i mean it, it you know, I mean, it did get competitive. Hell, I play, I placed fourth in nationals in it um, back in the day, okay. but it was, it was, it was flawed. Uh, you know, yeah. um, but uh, and of course, Magic was was one of them. But you know, I just you know was a it was a local game store. They encouraged everybody to play everything. Um, I had no real preference, so I played a little bit of everything. What was the name of the store? Are they still around? No, no, no. It's been closed for a long time. It's called The Game Place. Um, it's been closed forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, most local game stores. But uh, this uh, this guy who was also uh, lived close, who was closer to my age, um, my being, I guess at the time, 24, 25, maybe a little younger, uh, then, you know, a lot of the 15 year olds and stuff, uh, came in and he always wanted to play magic and he really didn't understand what we were doing as in he played, you know, 60 card competitive decks and thought multiplayer player was the most boring, you know, just insipid thing he'd ever seen and always <laughs> And always wanted to play one-on-one with people and he'd, you know, beat them easily most of the time and nobody would play with it. Oh, he was one of those spikes, like, uh, the, it, dictionary spikes. Yeah. 
Yeah, not not personality wise, but yeah. Uh, his name was Billy Milligan, um, and so you know, as I said, we were both older, so we we started talking a lot, and he started teaching me more and teaching me more, and so I started playing stuff he was he was, you know, telling me. And one of the great things about the card boom back then, especially being older, uh, is all the card games at that time were somewhat equal in popularity, all the major card games. Uh, so if you were older and smarter and played most of them, you could trade from one to the other um, for ridiculous value. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you had a if you had a kid whose parents had bought him a bunch of like three different games, but he was only interested in one, yep. you could take all the super awesome cards off the other games he wasn't interested in right. to get him all the cards he wanted for the game he was interested in. I'm not saying it was completely morally right, um, but the kids were happy. Yep. You know. So we didn't have a problem doing it. So we could get anything we wanted for the decks. Right. And uh, <laughs> I remember the day Billy finally decided to break me of casual play. Uh, it was right after Long had won Paris with Prosplume. Yeah. Uh, and he finally decided to show up to multiplayer. Um which blew everyone's mind, but everyone had been talking about how, you know, that was such a weird deck and it didn't make sense to them. Not real players, you know, the mm -hmm. casual guys. Mm -hmm. And Billy showed up to a six player multiplayer game and killed everyone in the table in one turn with Prosbloom. Right. By switch by switching the drain lifes to storm seekers. Yep. And he just prosperity everybody up and killed them all. So he just wanted to make a point, right? Like this is that powerful. Right. And that was it. I was just like, yep. I was like, I need to learn this, this new way because, you know, obviously it's, it's better than the old way. Right. And from then on, we were, you know, learning all we could. Um, and that was my first sort of introduction into a magic group. Um, Billy went to Towson University, and there was a group of higher-level players up there, um, old names, uh, Mark Aquino, Drew McLean, uh, Richie and Jason Jones, who were top local players. And I started learning from them as well as Billy, and we spent a lot of time drafting and learning. I mean, standard was really the only thing. Uh, type 1 was... Uh, a, a real format back then, but it was the Wild West. Mm -hmm. You know, people played whatever. Yep. So, you know, what, you know, standard and limited were the only really games in town. Um, so I just started playing with them and, you know, learning more and more. And uh, eventually I started going to what's uh, a local landmark. Uh, they are still open called Dream Wizards. Mm -hmm. Um, who all the top area players uh, come to and then eventually leave because uh, it has been open this long because they are incredibly greedy. Uh, what do you mean by that? Like just fleecing well, players or? No, 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 no. no nothing, 
everything's above board. Uh-huh. Uh, they're just more like we're only going to give this out in prize support because we know you're still going to come to our tournaments anyway. Oh, I see. They're more about like maximizing that, and uh, you know, if like screw the players, but you guys are going to come back anyway. Right? Yeah, we're the biggest. We're you know, we're we have all the wizard sponsored events, so yeah, you know, and you know, that's that's the only bad part. You know, it's a you know they've always had plenty of room. They've always catered to the players. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's just, um as magic has become monetized more in the past eight to 10 years, they have not followed the curve. Mm. So with all these new tournament organizers, you know, they're not the only game in town and with the lowest payout, you know, people forget it. But back in the day, they were the Mecca. Um, and that's where I started meeting up with all the local pros. Uh, Matt Lindy, you know, uh, national champion, uh, Kyle Rose, national champion, multiple pro tour wins, Brock Parker, uh, probably the best limited player in America. Um, he makes so much money playing casinos. He doesn't play much anymore, but he's still one of the best I've ever seen at limited. Uh, and um, a couple of the old, older pros, uh, Dan Clegg, and uh, I was not, I was with them, but I was not of them, if mm. saying I, w- I was not in their level, you know, but, you know, I learned from them, you know, I got beat by them constantly and in, in smaller local stuff, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't in the big, big time they were, uh, but again, that's how you learn. Was that a goal that you had? Like, was that a conscious or subconscious goal you had was to try to get to their level or at the time it, it wasn't so much get to their level. It was just get better. Okay. Uh, you gotta, even, even back then, you know, we're talking like 96, 97, maybe 98. Now, you know, I was working full time. Um, and, you know, none of these guys were working at all. So it, it's very difficult, you know, to try and do well when you're just learning. Yep. Uh, once, once you get to that level, you take somebody, uh, you know, this is a far out there comparison. But like, you know, John Finkel now, who, you know, has full-time job plus all his other stuff, but can still just step in. I mean, obviously his skill level is so much higher. It's, it's a rough comparison, but he can step in because he has so much experience and is so good that he can do that when you're just learning, you know, you you just don't, you can't invest the time. Mm -hmm. So I never had really any illusions that I was going to get as good as these guys, but I wanted to get as good as I I, I could with the, the time and resources. With the I time had. and commitment you had. Because you saw that these guys were like playing Magic 24 7, right? And you, you couldn't do yeah. that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, Billy Jensen, you know, again, one of the best around. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, let me just 
go off off book here saying Huey was an actually insulting name. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's taken it as his own, but he was called baby Huey because he was, you know, he's like six, five and he was stooped over with a huge belly mm-hmm. um, at, back as a kid, even, you know, <laughs> it was an insult like that, you know, the cartoon baby Huey. Yeah. Um, so I, I still just call him Billy. Um, but you know, you know how nicknames are, they stick forever. Yeah. So, and sometimes you don't even know how they came about. Right. So it's not really endearing. It's, it was more insulting. That's what you meant. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean like Kyle's Ro- Kyle Rose's nickname was big urn because, uh-huh. uh, you know, you've seen the original picture of Ernum Jin. He's a huge guy with a giant, you know, like a big beer belly, you know, which was Kyle Rose. Uh-huh. You know, but it was it wasn't meant to be insulting. It was endearing. So I don't know. Okay, more like an endearing in joke that you could only know if you actually met the guy, or uh, obviously so that's how you would call them these names. So sure. So <laughs> so anyway, um, what happened was sort of all the groups you know would get together when a big event would go on, um, and you know try and learn from each other. Uh, you know, back then. I mean, the dojo was sort of around, but uh, most people didn't even have internet. And, yeah. uh, you know, so everything stayed pretty cloistered. So, you know, we just tried to work tech as it's called off each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, uh, yeah, Lindy's deck that he won nationals with was one we had all worked on together, the White Weenie deck. Um, I was very upset because that was my first nationals and I had the tech Lindy didn't have of running mox diamonds, mm-hmm. uh, which made tithe better, but also let you run Emerald charm in the sideboard because everyone was packing gloom mm-hmm. and Lindy didn't do that and won anyway, because long punted, um, but that's a different story. Oh, I see. So your your tech could have become more uh, more fam- more famous, as it were, had he used it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I lost because I played that. Uh-huh. But Lindy lost because Mike Long went turn one ritual gloom. Lindy didn't have but two lands for four turns, and then instead of waiting two more turns to go off, Mike Long casts natural select or. Natural selection. Natural selection. Natural selection lets Lindy go up to five lands and then abandons him in response to a prosperity. Right. So it wasn't. It wasn't so much of what what Matt did. Then it was more like the his opponent messed up. In other words. Yeah. There's zero question. Lindy still only had two lands, so uh, that's how he became national champion. Um, so I think. <laughs> he was running good. <laughs> well, yeah, it happens. I mean, and it's those, there's animosity there anyway, because Wong's group, Tongo Nation, was our main rivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because they were well known to be sort of scummy players. Uh, you, know, you mean the cheating Wong, and unethical play, or? Yeah, Long was way more unethical than he was a cheater. Okay. Um, I think that reputation is 
undeserved. Like, for instance, during that game at Nationals, they found a cadaverous bloom on his chair. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, under his leg in his crotch with, like, 50 people and two cameras watching. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it had to just fall on his lap because there was no way he could ever get it out mm. without seeing. But he did every type of mind game, angle shooting, everything else, yeah. you know. Which wasn't technically illegal, right? It's just sort of him wanting well, to Well, that's not necessarily true. Like, one of the, his famous things was he would perch on his chair. <laughs> like, he would, you know, would sit on his feet on his chair. Uh-huh. But the reason he did it because he could see his opponent's hands. Right. You know, so that is illegal. It's yeah. just a movie ever. Yeah. That matches uh, some of the things I've read uh, or heard about. I mean, it really was kind of a wild west of uh, sportsmanship and competitive playback then, right? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> here's a good one. My first uh, PTQ top eight was actually Rochester top eight which was awesome because Rochester is just the best. But um, Donnie Gouts, one of the Tongo guys, was not qualified. Mills and Rovaina were both qualified. But back then, you could still pay in PTQs even if you were qualified for the Pro Tour. So all three of them made top eight. And since it was Rochester, the other two just sat and cut everybody off black so donnie could hit a mono black deck (laughs) yeah well well here's the best part i beat him anyway (laughs) oh yeah he threw his class ring at me kicked a hole in the wall and left oh my goodness yeah yeah it was awesome he had a mono black deck uh (laughs) 14 shadow creatures, all costing two or less. Yeah. And in game three, I land turn two cop black. <laughs> game. <laughs> Actually, it was a game. It, the, the funny part was, after like 10 turns, he finally windmill slams a uh, forest uh-huh. that you've been searching for and plays Tranquility. Oh, okay. Swings okay. for lethal, and I play respite. <laughs> yeah. And then I would have loved to see the look on his face. Uh, I guess before he threw the ring. <laughs> well, that's 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 the 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 thing was he still kept enough back so my I was playing like green white. My big guys couldn't get through. He didn't have many blockers, yeah. but he had enough. Um, so I play out another land and a mana creature. Um, don't attack. Uh, he swings in, puts me to like four. And I untap and I'm like, what are you at? And he said, seven. And I swing with with Bayou Dragonfly, which is a 1-1 flying swamp walk. Um, he, of course, can't block. And I cast Elvish Fury on it three times and kill him. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, we none of us liked each other very much. Right. So you had that team. Uh, well, I guess going back to the Nationals, uh, some of the tech uh, wasn't used by, by Matt. And then I, I'm wondering what, like, you, you, you kept playing in these kind of uh, events and tournaments and with these teams and, and players. Um, how, did, how did it go from that, like, I guess, standard into 1.5? 
Oh, that was much, much, much later. Oh, much, much later. Okay, if there's more about this stuff, uh, definitely go ahead. Well, I mean, not a lot. I mean, uh, like my first big competitive moment, I guess, um, was uh, 98 Regionals, where I went 7-1-1 and did not make top eight because, again, of Mike Long, uh, who went 9-0 just because he could. Um, and basically made, you know, five extra people over two rounds have to play it out. Yeah. And I lost out on tiebreakers. But, you know, I was obviously heartbroken, mm-hmm. but all my friends and everything were just, you know, congratulating and so supportive and everything, you know, saying, oh, you did so well. You know, this is regionals. This is big time. You're actually, you know we watched you play, you're doing well, you know, Mm -hmm. and so forth. So that was my, I guess where like the, the really, uh, okay. I can compete with all these guys. Yeah. That was a kind of validation, right. For all the work and that you put in or time that you put in. Yeah, I guess, I mean, validation is kind of sounds hollow because Uh I didn't, I didn't make top eight. But I mean, yeah, validation of, yeah, of these guys actually saying you're doing well and then yeah. your results proving that out. Yeah. Um, but then I guess, you know, life moves on. Um, probably around 2001, I had already started to wind down playing. It had just played itself out and, you know, other things were going on in life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, changing jobs. Uh, I got engaged. I got unengaged. Um, so from about 2001 to about 2004, I really played just some limited stuff here and there, you know, mm-hmm. just getting together and drafting with friends. Um, and then around 2004, which was about a year after the 1.5 vintage split, um, I started really getting into extended because it was a lot easier entry because it was a lot closer to what I knew from playing standard, you know, three to four years ago. Because, yeah. you know, sort of back then standard rotated into extended. Um, and I was really enamored of the, uh, older format at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played that for a while and then just, um, started getting interested in, uh, in legacy, uh, just taking, you know, extended to its conclusion, I suppose. Uh, there wasn't really much going on as far as legacy goes. There's no coverage or anything. So, the, uh, just, you know, searching online, of course, and came up with, of course, the source, mm. um, which was, you know, the website for legacy. Uh, and it also spun off from the, uh, what the managing was, it was, uh, the, just like the format split off on vintage. It also, the, the website also came from that, right? Yeah. It, uh, was originally, uh, the legacy portion of the managing uh, or the managing is a vintage site. Um, and, uh, 
couple of guys uh, bought it up uh, for their own 1.5 site. You know, they wanted their own 1.5 site, and then off it went. Um, and I just, you know, started chatting with people on ideas and so forth. And uh, Were there guys in the beginning of MTG The Source that you you were chatting with the most, perhaps? I don't know how many people were actually using the forums at that time, but there must have been some of the, must have been some of the earliest users, right? Uh, more or less. Um, what happened was I actually started to chat quite a bit with uh, Anwar Ahmad, who, uh, just because he's a really very friendly, helpful person in all areas, uh, and he was a bit more familiar with the format. And, you know, we had some interest in certain areas, certain decks that lined up and uh, he wanted to help me out. And then I found out that Anwar lives in Northern Virginia um, and that a great deal of the, uh, the source members also lived in Northern Virginia Um and was like, well, hell, I'm not that far. And there was this small store called the Lucky Frog that, for whatever reason, catered specifically to Legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had regular tournaments. And, and uh, so I traveled down there and met a bunch of the guys I'd uh, been talking to online. Um, you know, back then, you know, the... Uh, I mean, the, the Hatfield brothers, of course, mainstay since the beginning. Uh, David Gearhart, Dan Signorini, uh, Anwar, of course, Dave Price, Jesse Krieger. And, uh, you know, they just were like, great, another legacy player. Let's get you started. Um, and literally, you know, they, were, they weren't a team as people use the word today because the format was their own, Mm -hmm. you know, there was not organizers putting on tournaments. There were not prizes to be won. So it was, you know, except within the confines of any single game, it wasn't competitive at all. It was Mm -hmm. very cooperative. Um, And everybody pooled cards with everybody. So anybody could literally play anything they wanted. Um, and cards were so much cheaper then. Um, so, so they were very welcoming, right? That's that's that was the that's the feeling I'm getting the way you described it. Beyond welcoming, um, it wasn't just that they were welcoming you. They realized that they needed more people to grow legacy. Um, the more people they got who were legitimately interested in it, um, the more they could grow the format that they loved. And they were willing to go to great lengths to help anybody who had a legitimate interest in it stay there. You know, if they didn't have the cards, they would loan them the cards. If they didn't have a ride, they would make sure someone picked them up. If they were going to a tournament, you could sleep with them. You know, I mean, dead serious about this yeah that's that's beyond welcoming right and and why do you think that they love legacy so much you know it's a hard question to answer uh if 
I, I, you know, I could answer for myself and, but it, I think honestly, if you asked every one of them, you would get a different answer. Right. Uh, let me, let me ask you this way. Do you think it had something to do with the fact that they felt the format was kind of their own or that they had, they were in from the beginning on something? Uh, yes on the first, no on the second. I, I don't think there was any insider uh, us against them uh, attitude until it started to get bigger. At the point, it was just, yeah, it was their own format, and it was something semi-new. So it let people be really creative, um, but it was very smart people mm-hmm. being creative. So it wasn't like just, oh, we can do anything we want, make any dick they want, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and then part of it was also there was a direct rivalry with a similar group um, in the Syracuse area who, is, <laughs> who, who was actually exactly the same. Okay. Um, you know, a group of guys who very much love the format, very much into creating their own decks and very much into whatever they had to do to propagate the format. Right. Um, and the, the Nova guys and the Syracuse guys both for a, a long time just held their own tournaments and we'd travel up there and they'd come down here. Um, cause there wasn't much else going on, you know, legacy wasn't really supported. Um, so it was all player on, mm-hmm. um, Ray Robillard, uh, you know, uh, vintage mainstay, uh, started running, uh, larger tournaments once or twice a year up in Connecticut. But, uh, you know, until, uh, star city started doing stuff, uh, when they actually built their, uh, game setter down in Roanoke. Cause before that star city was run out of a freaking trailer. Um, right. It wasn't that big. No, well, that'd be another uh, statement, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the trailer had a basement, but it, it was a trailer. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, there wasn't much to it. There wasn't much to the format at all. Yeah. So it was a regional thing, right? It was a regional rivalry. Like it, it felt like a us versus them kind of dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, we still, you know, it, it was only for bragging rights, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, we all hung out afterwards. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it was us against them when we were separate, but when we were together, it was us against them as sort of its legacy against everyone else. I mean, you got to remember it, it was legacy was not considered a real format by any serious players for a very long time. Legacy has been around, you know, since 2003, 2004. And it wasn't until maybe six years ago that it was, it was taken as a serious format. Right. So, you know, there was very an us, uh, us against them, but, you know, not in a, a combative way, just as in a, a defensive way. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like uh, you, you guys all challenge each other to get, to get better, right? I, it sounds like you would go to their tournaments or they would come to your area and, or in between, right? 
Yeah, very much so. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest, as you said, you know, uh, us against them things there was uh, all we'd hear day in and day out is, oh, if the pros ever took legacy seriously, they'd break the format in half. Um, which, of course, as we've seen, is nowhere near true. Mm-hmm. Now, at, the pros win a great deal of the, the major tournaments because they're better players than we are. Mm-hmm. But they're all playing decks we created. Yes. You know, so it, it's, you know, nobody's, uh, nobody here is claiming to be, you know, uh, you know, as good a player as any of the, the, the top pros. But, you know, uh, one of the things we were defensive about, as in our format, is you, none of you understand it. And if you did, you'd understand saying like something like that is just not true. Uh, and that pretty much has held up over the years. Right. You may not be the best uh, players on the planet, but this is a format that you guys played a, a great part in developing and creating the pillars and strategies that became successful, right? Yeah. Um individually and as a group um so i don't know um like uh, the you know that the hatfields i think are probably responsible for most of the really good deck building if not the really good decks um like i said billy milligan taught me how to play competitive magic um but Alex Hatfield is probably the most pragmatic deck builder I've ever met. He doesn't have a creative bone in his body, um, but he's able to look at, you know, basically any legacy deck that's, you know, a real deck and tell you exactly what will work in it and what won't work in it and why. And he's able to remove his ego from any deck building and just immediately drop the dross for whatever does work. Mm-hmm. And that's an invaluable skill in deck building. It usually takes people forever, not only to develop that skill, but then to apply it, um, especially in a format as wide open as legacy where everybody wants to try everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason the half fields have been so successful for so long I mean, both of them, you know, don't play much anymore. Um, But, you know, since the beginning of Legacy up until, you know, a couple of years ago uh, is because they adopt a a professional approach to Legacy, as in they always will play whatever deck they think has the best chance of winning the tournament. Mm -hmm. And they will hone that deck by just, you know, trimming away all the fat. Um, and the creative, uh, the creative nature uh, of of the eternal formats is kind of a barrier uh, to a lot of deck builders because of their options. Mm-hmm. They just want to throw like card X and Y in because it came out last week or something, right? Uh, yeah, that or. Uh, the flip side, they want to keep card X and Y in because it's always been in this deck. Mm. 
Um, and both are a trap. And like I said, you know, I, I literally, <laughs> it's one of their most annoying habits, but when it works for you, um, it's the best is that they will literally discuss, spend two hours discussing the merits of running blue elemental blast versus hydro blast in deck. Y. Mm-hmm. you know, literally sit there for two hours arguing. Um, yeah, right. You know, I mean, but, uh, you know, when it works for you, because, you know, they, the, the results, you know, speak for themselves, you know, it's a, it's something that's great to have on your side. Yeah, no, they, it sounds like uh, as professional as it would get in terms of legacy, right? Where you have these guys talking about the most minuscule edges. But I also think, I'm also guessing that when they talk about Hydro Blast versus Blue Emblem Blast, it also veers into, like, the other cards that are in the format, obviously. So then there's there's kind of a, a lesson or a, a framework, not to sound too lofty, but there it, it, it helps into, it bleeds into other areas which will help their thinking or your group's thinking as well. Sure. Uh, it's never in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's, everything's relative. Uh, but I mean, that's, and that's really an extreme example. It's usually not, you know, that little minutia, but it was something that I probably wouldn't have learned how to do on my own. I could learn to do it just by trial and error. You know, if you, if you keep, you know, messing with the deck and messing with the deck and messing with the deck, you know, you'll, you'll figure out, okay, this works, this doesn't, this works, this doesn't. But what I learned from them was how to process that. Um, I remember uh, you, you asked me, you know, a while ago when we were discussing, you know, what Jarvis had said about how he doesn't need to sit and do 40 hours of play testing a week because he's gone over so many of the processes beforehand that he can eliminate a lot of that need by knowing exactly what he has to focus on. This is uh, Jarvis U, right? Right. Because, you know, well, Jarvis is Jarvis obviously very smart, mm-hmm. but uh, he has this skill, which, as I was saying, I was sort of taught by the Hatfields of once you know a format and know all the ins and outs and, and the decks and cards you're likely to see, um, it makes it much easier to hone your deck and hone your skills with that deck um, without putting in all the time that you would need if you were learning something completely from scratch. And to be honest, that's one of the biggest draws to uh, an eternal format specifically legacy of course uh to me Mm -hmm. is that not only does the non-rotating nature of the format let you really learn uh your deck and all your opponent's decks pretty well so you know a lot of that information just becomes reflex Mm -hmm. um but you also have sort of you know infinite time to 
work on a subset of decks and hone them without worrying that all your work uh, is just going to go in the trash mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, rotation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it happens. Um, Alex and I spent four months working on a brand new version of uh, uh, Fairy Stompy, uh, you know, mono blue chalice aggro. Uh, and we just as we had gotten so it worked, Eldrazi gets released. Uh, you know the new, you know, Smasher Thought Not Seer, yeah. and just threw all of our work in the trash mm-hmm. because it was so much more overpowered than anything we could put together. That we're just like, eh, well, it was it was fun for a while, but <laughs> this is Eldrazi. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted, but here's a, a objectively better, basically, deck that came out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, you know, we're the first ones to know when something like that's going to happen. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we just dumped it and went on to something else. So, I mean, it does happen in Legacy, uh, but the fact that it doesn't often is is one of the big draws for me. Sure, it's Um, not going to happen every every year or every every couple months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the closest I'm going to get to uh, having any kind of uh, an ego, but it, it's come to light a lot more recently that I have a reputation as being probably one of the best people at Dredge and one of the main reasons that I'm one of the best people with Cabal Therapy. Regardless of anything else, one of the main reasons of that is having so much format knowledge. I, I identification, deck identification in Legacy is an absolute, it's just so crucial. Mm-hmm. And people know this, but they really don't devote the time to it they should. Mm-hmm. And again, this is something, um, you know, Jarvis uh, had knows really well. I mean, you know, he has a smart guy and a great memory, but he also knows how important this is to be able to see one turn of the opponent's game and know 55 cards in their main deck and 12 cards in their side. Mm, I mean, that, and in legacy, that is a legitimate possibility. You know, there's, there's multiple ways to do that. Um, as Jarvis said, he hadn't been playing Legacy all that long, but Jarvis studies a lot and he's very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I've been playing Legacy forever um, and playing the same deck, you know, six months out of the year for six years, seven years, you know? So it, it it's just, you know, pure memorization. It has nothing to do with intelligence or skill. Mm-hmm. I mean, that comes into other parts, but, you know, it makes it real easy. Yeah, I mean, to me, nothing really epitomizes the uh, one's knowledge of the format more so than a card like Cabal Therapy, right? It's one of the hardest cards to play in Magic. And I know that you're um, you're an expert pilot when it comes to, to Dredge, and I still remember when I got into Legacy. This is a bit of a, a tangent, but reading, like, um, I think it was Michael Keller or Richard Feldman, they wrote some article about cabal therapy specifically i can't remember if it was in the context of dredge or not but it was kind of like uh yeah anyway they had a lot to say i won't repeat it all here but but that was kind of like reading stuff like that from legacy players was kind of what made me felt in 
more in love with Legacy was just like the 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 thinking and decisions involved with cards like that. So yeah, it's very <laughs> it's a very skill intensive card, but at the same time, it's so powerful that it doesn't necessarily have to be skill intensive, which is really overpowered when you think about it. Yeah, you know it it's it's really good in somebody who doesn't know what they're doing's hands. Yeah. And in somebody who does know what they're doing, it, it's terrifying. I mean, <laughs> sure. It's I like a really Chris, high powered gun or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I mean, Chris Van Meter wrote an article one about how, <laughs> about how lucky I was with my therapies. This is years ago. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, and it was funny because even like Star City guys were like, "No, Chris is like you. It's like you let him play you, <laughs> as in like, let you. You know, you he walked you into that. You just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, recently, uh, Joe Losa was just going off on one of his streams about he's like watching me, you know, go through, uh, last weekend at Richmond, you know, the, the, the quarters and the semis and the finals. And he's like, he, he never missed once on a blind therapy. He's like, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's not, it, it just, you know, it's really, really tough to quantify mm-hmm. at any given moment. But I mean, sometimes you just walk people into stuff. Uh, you know, you know, it's difficult for me to say this because I don't want to, I don't think I'm better than anybody and I don't like to put any players down. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is an element of magic and it's why I, I, I don't play Moto at all. I mean, from what I understand, there's plenty of reasons not to. But the human element is is not talked about much. I, I think it's incredibly important, um, especially with you know something like therapy. Uh, but just in general, at, at being able to read your opponent not only what they might have, but what more importantly what they might do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, my my strategy when playing people is. Uh, is probably different than most, and it's probably very specific toward Dredge. Um, most players uh, in Legacy are, are, or you know, good players are drawn to blue, um, and the reason for that is uh, it gives them broader decision trees, mm-hmm. um, more options. Um, you know, specifically cantrips and and, and so forth. Uh, any deck manipulation, any hand manipulation. Um, I specialize in a deck that, that doesn't really have any of that. So I think sort of backwards. Um, and it's funny, people say Dredge works backwards, but um, more accurately, where other people have decision trees, I see my job as pruning the trees. Oh, okay. As in, I, I look at it as a flow chart of what my, like, literally, you know, uh, a, a linear plan with all the branches coming off, sort of like a flow chart, if and, you know, uh, and my job is to cut off all those branches, um, force my opponent 
into a situation where either they have to have X or they lose or like on turn, you know, whatever this turn, they have to have X or Y or they lose. Mm -hmm. And then by the next turn, they can only have X or they lose or failing that force my opponent into making a decision that I want them to Mm -hmm. Uh, doing something that, you know, may not be good for me, but it's better for me than another decision that I see they could have made by making that more appealing. And part of that is in-game play, but part of that is also dealing with the person, you know, as a person, you know, it has nothing to do with the game. Um, Can you give me an example of that? Like, is it like just the way you interact with that player or? um, It can be. There are, you know, some players I'll stone face. Mm -hmm. Like, Fabiano is the perfect example. Um, There is no one in Magic better at angle shooting or table talking than Fabiano. Um, So anything you, you say is going to work to his advantage. But then there are other players that I'll get, like, really verbose you know loud aggressive with mm-hmm. um, not, not aggressive like you know physically or threateningly but you know just talk a lot and you know uh, uh, speak a lot and mm-hmm. loud and, and just trying anything to get a reaction out of them mm-hmm. i'm suddenly reminded of uh daniel negranu in in poker where he his table image is that he he engages a lot with people, sometimes in a friendly way, and then they end up kind of volunteering information to him, sort of in tells and telegraphing tells and things like that. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know that analogy, but it's just something that that came to mind. I am well aware of Kid Poker. I am nowhere near in his league, and don't even think that I am. But I think. Again, it's more into um, forcing plays Mm -hmm. that let me know what they're doing. Um, And also, (laughs) for for lack of a better term, putting the fear of God in the other player. (laughs) Um, And and by that, I, I mean... Dredge is a very scary deck from the other side of the table. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, at its heart, you know, a lot of times it's just beating down with dorks, but at its heart, it is a combo deck. Yep. So you can never give your opponent reason to believe they're safe. Mm -hmm. You always want them to make the play that they think they have to make or they might lose. Right. Right. Um, this, you know, the let, you know, they have to make the safe play. They have to make the, I'm not going to just, he's not just going to blow up next turn play. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you don't have it. And a lot of that is just, you know, bluffing and, you know, some of it's bluffing. I mean, but all magic players bluff, you know, I mean, it's an inherent part of the game M- more in this case, it's, sort of allowing them, letting them off the hook. Yeah. Letting them make this play thinking that they're safe when you already knew they were going to make this play and you're ready for it when you get the turn. 
I, I mean, Damon, I'm not a huge uh, expert in, in Dredge, but having seen it in action, I mean, it's the boogeyman for a reason, right? Like, it's the fear of God. It's the fact that you're attacking them on an axis that they're not used to being attacked on. Um, and, and like you said, they're sort of, you're, you're forcing them into this kind of uh, discomfort zone where they don't know exactly if you're going to kill them next turn. Um, I would actually say this is uh, one of these things where it's a combo deck, but they can't really interact with you as easily, right? At least uh, in game one, because their counter magic doesn't doesn't do jack, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. There's different facets of that, but a lot of it is uh, just perception. Um, and and a lot of it is the other side. Uh, the the semi-good players... Uh, yeah, like a perfect example is... Um, I don't mind that people, for the most part, always know what I'm going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, for for several reasons. Um, number one, uh, in game one, I just don't care. Right. Yeah. It's in your sideboard. The majority, so Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, but but number two, uh, you know, the the worst players tend to mulligan a lot against me because they're terrified. Right. They think this hand uh, can't beat Dredge, you know. Oh, I gotta pitch it. Yeah. Then you've already won because they're not they're not trying to win. They're just trying not to lose. Exactly. And then the flip side of that is the players who aren't good but think they are do the opposite. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, this hand, you know, I, you know, this hand has like a brainstorm and a and a plow and you know a ponder and a couple lands, you know. I'm not going to throw that away just because he's playing dredge. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cantrip into, you know, what I need and so forth. And it works exactly the opposite because you have one removal spell and a handful of blanks against a deck that ignores spot removal. Right. And, you know, it's just like, okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the free win. So it's, it's always good. Right. You know? I mean, it, it speaks to the fact that people who are not good players don't understand that their deck is always uh, in relation to the other's deck, right? And that, like, your objectively powerful cards could could have zero value in this matchup. Uh, no, I mean that. No, that's. I mean that's long and the short of it. You know, and then there's. I mean, there's all the other little things. Uh, you know, just playing technically well, of course, and trying to. You know, eke out the small edges, uh, making sure everything's sequenced correctly. But that's the same with any deck. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, you know, I I, <laughs> I started playing Dredge, you know, and Extended because it was the monster of Extended for its time. Um, but uh, you know, I dumped it and was playing like real Legacy decks, you know, Threshold and Solidarity and and so forth, and then I just just saw these guys playing it and realized how awful the, their builds were, and, you know, <laughs> just just ridiculous. Like, these people trying to port, you know, port it to Legacy when extended, and just not realizing how the deck worked at all. Um, and so, you know, I mean, running stuff like Arrogant Worm and, and, and Dredge, because you could sack Lion's Eye Diamond to cast it. I was just like... So, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, originally I wasn't even playing the deck. I was just so pissed off at people playing so bad uh-huh. 
that I, I rebuilt the deck and then like it's like let me show you how um, it's done right <laughs> no no, no. I, I wasn't literally uh i wasn't even playing and then uh, uh i rebuilt the deck and then krieger and anwar went on a road trip with the hatfields to uh to uh uh california and seattle and we're just crushing people on the west coast with it yeah um, and people were just like, oh, wow, you know, they're, and they're just like, no, we had nothing to do with it. Damon just handed us the deck and said, here, we'll go win. <laughs> um, and everyone's like, what? Um, so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll start playing it since it's doing well. Yeah. So, you know, I've been working on the deck on and off forever and. I mean, most of the major changes that come with the deck, I figure out first. So it's it's sort of become synonymous with me. Yeah. I mean, for is Dredge, like, basically the only deck that you play in tournaments or high-level events now? No. No. It's just the only deck I do well with. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's it's actually objectively the, the one you want to go with because it's your, your highest percentage deck, as it were. Yeah, but, I mean... Honestly, I mean, winning isn't everything, and mm -hmm. Magic is just a hobby for me. You know, I'm never going to be a top pro, even if, you know, I had serious aspirations to, to, to do so. Um, so, like I said, uh, you know, just recently, you know, I guess, uh, well, and now it's been like a year. But, um, you know, Alex and I were having a lot of fun working on the fairy stompy deck, you know, and I was playing and losing and playing and losing a little less and playing and losing a little less. And, you know, uh, of course, like I said, you know, the deck got outdone by Eldrazi, but, you know, I didn't mind, you know, going to real tournaments. I mean, and, and, and losing with it when I know I could have done much better with dredge mm -hmm. simply because I was having a lot of fun, you know, building this new deck. Um, and like I said, uh, you know, at least three to six months out of the year, I do that because, you know, doing the same thing over and over again is just boring. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I recently made some major changes to dredge uh, that are enabled by some new cards and by the metagame. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. You know, and I've been winning a lot with it, but mm -hmm. the two don't necessarily have to go hand in hand. You know, yeah. uh, I get I get bored. You know, as anyone would playing the same thing over and over for years. Mm -hmm. uh, but now, you know, it's it's a whole new ball game, honestly, with with the changes I've been making, and I'm having a lot of fun messing with people. Right, so it sounds like Alex Hatfield is more of a, um, like, I'll play the best deck because that gives me the best chance of winning, whereas you might be someone who is, you know, I've got these archetypes that I'm working on, and uh, if, if there's things that I can, that I can refresh or, and that are, that are new for me in this tournament or this point in time, I'll have fun doing that, even if I don't win the tournament. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, Alex, Alex won't take decks like that to a tournament. Mm -hmm. He'll work on them and everything and he'll have a lot of fun, but yeah, he won't take them to a tournament. Um, I, yeah, I have no problem, you know, 
doing that because I mean, I, I like the last three tournaments I played in, in the last three weeks, I came in first, second and first. Mm-hmm. And like, they're like, dude, why were you playing this crap <laughs> the, the past three months? And then you just walk, walk out with this new dredge deck and blow everyone away. I'm just like, literally, I was like, dude, winning isn't everything. Right. You know, I don't, it, you know, if I was playing on the legacy pro tour, yeah. you know, trying to win 50 G's, I would play dredge. Yeah. But, you know, winning, you know, 500 bucks in store credit or not is not going to make my day. Sure. You know, so I really have no problem. Just, you know, I mean, I don't play in big pro level events where it's, you know, you have to play the best deck because the EV is so huge. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, having said that though, you were telling me about some of the, um, difference in mental approach between someone like you and, uh, Anwar, right. Um, you were, I, I can I take it that in the heat of the moment, like in a particular match or round, you're still like ultra competitive? Like, sure, you may have not picked the best deck, whatever that means, but but in that moment, like when you're playing somebody, you're still very, very competitive and doing everything to win, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and every game is a game. Okay. You know, I I want to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not results oriented. Okay. Uh. You know, I'm competitive in the moment, but, you know, if I, you know, go, you know, XO or OX, it, it really doesn't affect me much at the end of the day. I mean, you know, winning a tournament and going O2 drop or I have the same, I feel the same. No, well, that's not accurate. I don't feel the same, but I have the same, uh, feeling about the tournament mm-hmm. you know i don't think the tournament was a disaster for me if i went out too yeah you know, uh i uh well actually well i'll quote him but a lot of players have the same sentiment uh jd near said uh yeah i am my record and then i go up to him I'm like how are you hey jd hadn't seen you how are you doing oh uh, i'm like two two no 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 i i meant how are you yeah, I am my wreck. It's like, no, no, you're not. No, it's a hard lesson, right? Because like a lot of uh, my friends as well, it's like they look so down when they're when they're down in a tournament. But I mean, I mean, that's not going to change who you are tomorrow, right? Whether you won or lost that tournament. Yeah, I, I you know, I get upset at tournaments, but not at my record. Yeah. I get upset because this guy was a dick. <laughs> uh, I get upset because I I screwed up. I get upset because this guy hit a one outer the turn before he died. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, you know, I, the, 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 but that's little in the moment stuff that passes immediate. Yeah. You know, you know, these guys let their results affect them. Yeah. And I mean, also, I mean, you and even more in my case are quite a bit older, you know, and, you know, obviously your perspective changes a great deal as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you realize, I mean, the, the most, I, you know, it, I'm not the one that came up with this saying, but the most important lesson I've learned in life is letting 
that which truly does not matter go. Mm. Um, yeah, the, and figuring that out, <laughs> yeah, you can't tell anybody that because yeah. it doesn't mean anything. It, it really doesn't because it's different for everybody. It's impossible to find even uh, for somebody else. You can't tell yeah. somebody else what truly matters to them. Yeah, they have to go through that experience themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And once you're able to figure that out, the letting go part, you know, for most people is pretty easy. Uh It's the figuring out what you can let go, what isn't compromising your morals, which isn't giving up a piece of you, which isn't compromising you, let's say, financially even, Uh you know. Letting letting that stuff, you know, just completely go uh, is the the closest thing I can find to peace. You know, I'm not a peaceful person. You know, mm-hmm. I'm you know, I, I get very animated and aggressive with people. I really just don't care what people think about me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I. I don't feel bad about it because I don't volunteer my opinion to anybody. I won't just come up to say, say, Hey, you really played like shit that game or, Hey, I think your hair looks stupid, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you. Right. And if you don't like that, I don't care. Right. So I can live with that, Um, you know, and obviously that upsets people. But once, you know, the reason I actually have friends is that people learn, you know, once, you know, they've been around me for a while, that that is the case, that there's no malice behind it. I just, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. Mm Mm-hmm to make you feel better mm-hmm. um, because to me that isn't being a friend. Yeah. That's, that might be what you need right now, but it's not what you really need. Right. You, you want someone as a friend to, to really ultimately tell it like it is. Sure. Uh, I mean, and you know, and part of that being a friend is keeping your mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> like, Maybe sometimes you need to let that person figure it out for themselves that they're in this uh, train wreck of a relationship and that you should not tell them that uh, that they're they're doing great or that their significant other is a is a wonderful person if they're not. <laughs> I don't know why what? this this suddenly came up, but I just I guess my own personal no, no. experiences. Yeah, <laughs> sure. But I mean that that's exactly that because the best result of that is going to be an I told you so. Yeah. You know, that's the best result. The worst can be, you know, complete resentment. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, times where you edit, but, you know, I, you know, I don't think sparing anyone's feelings by lying to them is very <laughs> I have to say, though, Damon, even when it comes to magic, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but um, when I told a few folks that uh, we were going to talk, they're like, oh, um, Damon, um, uh, 
I don't think Damon likes me. So it always ends up being going back to being about them. Like, oh, I don't know about Damon. Like, he, like, um, he's like, he's not very nice to me. And I, I don't know if there's, there's something wrong with me or, or what. So it's, uh, <laughs> that's a kind of like, I don't know why, but it's just the, 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 it's just like the first thing that they just sort of volunteer, uh, when, when, when I tell them that, uh, that I might have an interaction with you. As if they were trying to warn me about something, which is really weird because I'm a big boy, so I don't feel like I need to... I feel like it's kind of irrelevant, but I don't know if you ever get that feeling or vibe around people. Uh, not so much anymore. Um, I mean, number one, I think that that sounds like their problem. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. It's... Yeah, I mean, I could see it from the outside, but... But it doesn't I mean, matter, right, in the end, really, like you said. Well, it does if it's a false perception. Uh -huh. um, you know, there are some people I don't know that well and don't interact that well, even though I'm around them occasionally, that I might just not interact with, and it's not because I dislike them, it's just because I don't have anything to say to them. There's other people that I actually dislike and I want to make sure that they're aware that I dislike and they choose to be around me anyway. <laughs> they're like, hey, Damien, look at me. I got this. Uh, my, I'm using my real, real name as my screen name on the source. What do you think? <laughs> well, yeah, not, I mean, not quite like that, but yeah, I I'm mean, <laughs> they'll, I mean, no, but I mean, they'll, they'll just come up to me and, you know, like, hey, how you doing? And I'll just like look at them and they're like, so what's going on? I was like, why are you talking to me? I told you I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I was I like, see. no. They're just really I, nervous I, and they want to do like small talk and then they realize that that's not what you're you're interested in, right? So, right. Well, well, no. The difference is, especially say at a magic event, I'll you know, small talk with people just in general, just being polite, um, whatever. But there are certain people who have, I have legitimate reason to dislike uh -huh. who, you know, don't get it. You know, they, they think it's funny. The people that I actually like or have no animosity towards sometimes, uh, you know, get defensive and nervous around me, uh, -huh. uh for, for their own reasons. Yeah. And then the people who I actively dislike, you know, don't get it and keep wanting to come up to me. And, you know, they go hand in hand. That's probably part of the reason why I don't like you. Mm -hmm. If you don't realize that I don't like you and still want to keep trying to interact with me, mm -hmm. you know, that probably goes to the reason why I don't like you in the first place. Mm. It's uh, that so lack of self-awareness, maybe. Well, I mean, there's also specific reasons. You know, some people are just stupid. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just. I mean, you know, they they just don't I, have I like, anything to offer, right? Or uh, no, 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 no. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about like, you know, you don't go around telling everyone in the room I'm a cheater, uh -huh. and then come and try and be my friend. You know, I mean, that's real simple. Uh, so you know, stuff like that. Got it. Um, or you don't, 
you know, like try and cheat me and then have me call you out on it and then try and be my friend, you know? Uh, and th these are just magic related examples because, you know, that's sort of the yeah. top of the hand, but I mean, just in general, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. um, you're, I mean, <laughs> uh, this is probably going to come off hand handedly. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, my, probably my favorite Chinese, proverb is uh you don't break someone else's rice bowl to try and refill your own mm -hmm. um and that's something i really sort of live by you know you don't have to be mr helpful you don't have to be charitable and nice but you do have to not fuck over other people to advance yourself mm -hmm. you know so yeah, that's not the way the world is. You know, the world is full of people. Yeah, do that, but uh, you know, I, I have to have some sort of philosophy or code, and that's probably the minimum I can get away with. It's sort of the well, Hippocratic oath, you know, yeah. at, at, at least do no harm. No, that's that's good to live by. I mean, um, for better or worse, a lot of people. Uh, behave and perceive the world as kind of this uh, zero-sum game, right? Like, I have to get ahead. I, you have to fall behind for me to get ahead, kind of thing. Right. And that's... It couldn't... The, the, the sad part is that I couldn't be farther from the truth. You're familiar with the Nash equilibrium, right? Yes. You know, I mean, that's that's the truth. You know, everyone does best when they do what's best for both themselves and for the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, just to quick aside to go back to the, the, the parcher thing. That's where it came from. Uh, your, your, your online name, parcher. Yeah. Uh, Ed Harris's character from a beautiful mind. Oh, okay. Now it's, I'm making the connection now. One of my favorite actors, one of my favorite characters um, so it was already on my mind and then just coincidentally for magic, uh, Parcher was when Urza was recruiting, uh, to fight Yawgmoth, the, uh, the planeswalker considered so unstable, they wouldn't even recruit to fight, you know, the most dangerous foe who ever existed. Uh, so that's how it came about. Not a great story by any means, but there you go. Oh, that's that's cool. It's got kind of a double meaning, and it also uh, fits in a little bit with your uh, philosophy or, or way to look at things. Or persona, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so we talked a little bit about people that you uh, may not like because they're, they're stupid or they're not... Uh, where they lack certain things. Um, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. Like you mentioned that you're, you're, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty good buddies or magic partners with like the Hatfields, uh, Anwar. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about like uh, Dan as well? Because uh, I have to say like, this is full disclosure. Dan was one of the people that made me really get into legacy, not because I had met him face to face, but he was someone who exemplified, like, hey, you're a stranger on the internet. 
uh, you want to learn about Team America, let me help you. And he and I had a lot of uh, forum chats uh, many, many years ago when I was playing that as one of my my decks after uh, after a stint with Eva Green, so which was, I guess, Anwar's uh, creation, or he, he did a lot of work on that. So I, 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 maybe maybe not even for the listeners, but just for me, like, can you tell me a little bit more about about Dan? Because he just seems like a really great guy. Uh, I, I've met him once face to face. I think it was at a at a GP on the East Coast. But uh, t- tell me a little bit more about him, if you don't mind. Dan is a combination of the luckiest boy alive and a guy who's made all the right choices. And it's high praise, but it's the truth. He's the opposite of me. He grew up with a loving family, both parents well off, had every advantage. But Dan did everything right on top of that. Um, He's... Good looking. He's in great shape. He's very smart. He's, you know, a great friend. Um, but he's completely egoless. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's, I consider him one of my, one of my closest friends. Um, he, like myself, was not originally with the uh the other VA guys uh with legacy that came into it, you know, was brought in it, to it by them. But uh, you know, everybody loves Dan. Uh so he quickly made his way into part of the group. And he's also just a tremendously skilled player. Um but part of that Dan always making the right decision thing, uh involves his lack of playing magic um he has a wife he has a kid he has a very important time consuming job so even though uh dan performs extremely well when he does play magic he can't invest much time into it Mm -hmm. um and that's just him having his priorities straight right i I, i'm really impressed by his uh performances like I I think he you guys went to that GP together and he actually finished in the was it the top sixteen or something like that? Yeah, uh, well, the last four GPs Dan's played in, um, he made uh, he, Seattle. He scrubbed out, but Denver he top aided, and then uh, DC. He uh, made uh, Sam Black jump two full points to knock him into ninth on breakers. And then at uh, Columbus, he made ninth on breakers again. Although he was only, uh, we figured it out, he was only like 25% chance to make top eight. He he knew because he, you know, one of his losses uh, was really earlier so forth and so on. And we pretty much knew he was going to make ninth on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. And then he, I mean, he's top 16, I think two others as well. I know the last, the, the Columbus in 11th, 2011, I guess it was, he made top 16 and uh, Jersey. I think, I, I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah, um, but it sounds like you guys are are really good friends despite being opposites in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's weird. I'll tell you, <laughs> his wife is exactly like me. Oh, really? Like, even to the same like parents are from the same place, same background. We're we're so much alike. It's frightening. Um, so I see why Dan and I get along really well. Um, uh, so it's, 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 that, that part was a little. No, no, it's, it's weird. No, I mean, it's cool because, uh, if I were like, uh, trying to psychoanalyze this, which I won't, uh, you know, it would be like, um, that's kind of the reason why you, you are good friends with Dan, right? Because, um, maybe, uh, opposites attract, like in a platonic sense, maybe, (laughs) Sure, I guess. I mean, who knows? I mean, in my experience, as far as uh, romantically, uh, you know, I think opposites attract, but they never stay attracted uh-huh. because the, that difference always gets there. But I think opposite might be too strong a word, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I mean, that's also, you know, getting back to the original point, why... Dan doesn't have a whole lot of time to devote to magic. Um, I've been spending a lot of time since I've been playing a lot more recently, mm-hmm. um, trying to get him prepped for Honolulu because of, uh, you know, Columbus, he's queued for Honolulu and he, you know, has no clue what's going on with standard. Right. So we've been, uh, uh, trying to, uh, get him set up and, uh, uh, I just talked to uh, Shaheen this weekend who, um, while obviously queued for Honolulu is not going, um, who just said, yeah, he had just, he's another, uh, Virginia guy. Um, is that Shaheen you know, Surani? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, a great guy, uh, who, uh, volunteered to, to, to play test with Dan to help him for the pro tour, uh, even though he's not going. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really yeah. cool. You guys are helping him out. Oh yeah. Um, and Oh, just coincidentally, um, Alex Majlaton, um, who you, you know, just recently interviewed another local, um, invited Dan to, uh, to come draft with his guys, you know, to, to prep for, uh, the pro tour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said, he said basically they were full up as far as, uh, slots of their group going to the pro tour, mm-hmm. you know, but he said, he's more than welcome to come, you know, when the, you know, when they start prepping with the new set for draft, uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, come and, draft with those. And I mean, I, I've known Alex for a long time, you know, we, I don't know him well, mm-hmm. uh, by any stretch, but he's just, uh, a great guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, is, is that, I, I'm curious, like there seems to be different generations of magic players like you and you and I, and maybe Dan, we're kind of a, an older generation compared to some of these guys, right? Like Jarvis, Alex, and, uh, uh, Ben Freeman is another guy I can think of who I, I talked to recently. Um, do do you feel that like that you're kind of like the uh, the elder statesman, or some of you guys are? 
Well, there's a zero down in my mind. I'm the elder statesman. Um, <laughs> but at, just cause I'm old, I mean, not, not to do with magic or anything. Um, yeah, I mean, Alex and, and Jarvis have been around for, for a while. Um, especially Alex. Uh, so yeah, they're not, they're, you know, a different era, but not that different. Mm-hmm. Ben's a kid. Um, you know, he hasn't been around all that long and, uh, you know, um, but, you know, Ben has come along very quickly. Um, I'd say both personally and, you know, as far as magic goes, I mean, you know, he's done very well, uh, for the past couple of years for a reason, you know? Yeah. I like I like to get your take on it though, uh, Damon. So, if if I look at it objectively, Ben has done extremely well, just in terms of finishes and some of the things that he's done uh, at the Pro Tour and and Grand Prix levels. Uh, but he's still really young, right? So, is there something that about him that you see as sort of like that allow him to do that, um, or I, I don't know? I'm just just want to get your take on that. I honestly don't know. Um, you know, I, he's a good player. Um, I, I think actually, well, I might. Um, the main thing I've noticed is Ben has matured a lot over the past few years. Like, um, even like, say, the Hatfields, uh, who never have a bad word to say about anybody, not because they're nice, just because they don't, you know, they don't behave that way. You know, they don't talk shit about anybody. Mm -hmm. Remember Ben as that punk kid, you know, that like arrogant, loudmouth little shit, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we're talking from, you know, five years ago. Sure. Uh, I mean, he was super young, right? And we all kind of did things um, that were not great (laughs) at that age. Uh, Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously he was playing well even back then, even though, you know, not compared to, you know, how well he's doing now. Uh, but, you know, I, and I've said, I mean, that's one of the main things I've seen. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know Ben well at all. I don't know how, I don't know where, but I think his philosophy as a person has changed. And I'm sure in some way that has helped him in magic. Um, you know, he's, you know, a, a smart guy and, you know, he's good at magic, but I think his, his attitude in general has changed quite a bit. Um, and that could only help him. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how one correlates to the other, you know, cause again, I don't know him all that well. I mean, yeah. he's a local guy, but we're not friends or anything. Yeah. I mean, we don't hang out. Uh, but, I mean, there's a person playing the game. So if that person is uh, well-adjusted or has certain uh, outlook, which is good rather than bad, I, it's got to help him or her somehow, right? So Yeah, just, just, just maturing in a good way, I think, um, uh, you know, it can only be, be helpful. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I feel like I'm speaking out of my ass here because, like I said, I don't, you know, I, I only see Ben in tournaments, so I, I feel talking about him as a person, even in, in a complimentary way, is somewhat false. Uh, 
And that's I, okay. I I'm not trying go. to. I'm not trying to single him out specifically. Um, I, I, I. So I, I respect your answer. I don't. I don't mean anything by that. Maybe my question was uh, poor to begin with. So. Uh, yeah. It, well, it's just. It's hard for me to answer, honestly. I mean, like Jarvis has come a, a long way as a yeah. person. Jarvis, I get the sense that you've known him. You know him a little bit better, right? Yeah, I've known Jarvis for a while. It just it takes a long time to know Jarvis. You okay. know, he's very, very, uh, you know, close keeps to himself off. kind of thing. Well, just more, you know, I don't know if shy is the right word, but but very quiet. Um, I think part of that is because Jarvis used to be really socially awkward. Um, his idea of like table talk at magic would be like, God, why would you do that? You're so stupid. <laughs> like, and I, and I'm talking like talking to his opponent. Yeah. Like, and it's not even like him trying to insult them. Uh-huh. It's it's like that was what Jarvis was thinking in his head. Mm-hmm. No, no filter just said kind it. of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and now Jarvis, like I've talked to him about it, and he literally says, "No, I was still thinking that. I just know not to say it now." Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's great, you know. It's great to see him, you know, come out of it, and you know, uh, you know, express himself. I mean. He is—he's uh, yeah. he's one of those guys that would you'd think would be like the the nerdy, quiet little Asian guy, and he's not at all. I mean, he's just smarter than most people, right? You know, and was just socially awkward. And once he got around people that you know he knew weren't out to get him, that's you know yeah. taking it too far, but. You get what I point. You know, people who had his best interests in mind. Yeah. You know, he, you know, started being more of a a person and and talking to people and opening up and and being, you know. Yeah, maybe embracing more of uh, who he is paradoxically made him uh, even more approachable. Because the way I see it is that we all kind of play magic because we are all kind of socially awkward in in some way. I can't speak for you, but I can <laughs> I can speak for myself and people that I know. It's like you don't play this fantasy card game every Saturday or Sunday. Uh spend like 8 hours a day like thinking about it without without being awkward in some way or shape or form. So, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean being yeah, in whether it's expressed outwardly or not, you know. So, because you can obviously be an extrovert and be socially awkward just as easily as being an introvert. Um, Jarvis <laughs> being introverted, obviously. Um, you know, I, and there and there are some exceptions. Like Dan, for example, um, is not socially awkward with anybody. Dan's thing, if we're looking for a socially awkward thing, is. As I like, I said, um, very tall, good looking, in great shape. Got money. Got the wife. Got the kid. But at his heart, Dan is a gigantic nerd, mm-hmm. and that's where his socially awkward comes in. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way anyone 
would ever look at him and think, you know, he's in, you know, he has freaking Gandalf sword hanging over his bed, you know, or he plays magic or, you know, anything like that. So it's just that, you know, the, the exterior doesn't match the interior at all. Right. And that's what, that's not like socially awkward, but it is awkward. Yeah. It, it, um, it, according to convention, society's conventions, it's not, it's not what people expect. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. And he's like a, like a legitimate, you know, nerd, yeah. uh, just as far as his hobbies and interests and passions mm-hmm. where they, lie, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen you on, uh, on camera at, uh, some of the SCG events. I think there was, there was one of you on camera against, uh, uh, Ross Miriam a few years ago. Like, do you think people also look at you and think like, uh, Damon, he looks like a magic player <laughs> or, I mean, the, do, you, do you think exterior not. matches interior? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, probably not. I mean, uh, no, I mean, that's, that's fair. Um, I, I think it's a little different though. Uh, I mean, it's not a, a, a direct comparison just because uh, <laughs> they, people think positive things about Dan. Here he plays magic and then think negative things. Not necessarily personally, but, you know, yeah. a lot of negative connotations with being a geek, whatever. Mm-hmm. People's initial response to me is negative. So, but why do you think that is? I mean, you've got the Billy Ray Cyrus shirt. I mean, how can that be a be a negative? Oh, I mean, how could you be negative around Billy Ray? Uh, no, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm uh, a rough looking guy. You know, I grew up rough. I have a, a very direct, aggressive manner, and you know that's going to put people off. Um, and you know you know, how many magic players, you know, you know, have, you know, been in more fist fights than they can count, have done crystal meth, have been to jail, you know, you know, I don't have, you know, any of the, the background of the classic nerd. So in a way I am sort of like Dan Uh or like a described Dan in that, that, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a, you know, a nerd at heart, just not through environment. Right. I guess. Right. I don't. I just think that's the best part of the game is that you can you never know who you're interacting with, right? And like, there's this sort of um, it sounds cliched, but there's always this kind of common bond. Like we all came together because of this game or love of the game. So it doesn't matter like where you are. It's just uh, or who you are. It's just. Um, what can you do once the game starts? I think that's the that's the thing that will will get people's respect, or um, like your game will speak for itself, no matter uh, no matter your background, as it were. Yeah, I mean, and and sort of dovetail with that is you can have two people that outside of a magic tournament could not be more opposite separate, even sort of combative uh, in beliefs, be they political, whatever, but 
suddenly player one starts talking about how many basic planes to run in miracles and player two who actually has a well thought out experienced opinion on that will just automatically engage with the other one in you know regarding the subject even if they've never met even if they would hate each other outside of the tournament you know mm-hmm. um and that happens all the time where, you know, guys are sort of on the fringe of groups. Uh, you know, because there's always clicks at any event like that. Sure. And if somebody else has a, an opinion that, you know, um, has value and is well expressed. A uh, perfect example for this is BBD, you know, world champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time I've seen him at every tournament, his opponent and anyone who legitimately uh, observed and followed their match, he will go out of his way to sit and discuss the details of the match with them. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't weird in and of itself, but a player of his caliber who not only, you know, enjoys doing that, you know, um, but embraces some random you know kid who's never you know performed well at any magic tournament in his life sitting with you know a player of that caliber you know for him to go out of his way to engage them and you know treat them as equals is not only you know obviously telling his you know, to his character, but I think is something that is unique to geek culture, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you don't you don't see a typical sort of a weird example a uh, you know freshman at Seton Hall, you know playing, I don't know, point guard, you yeah. know, sitting down with, you know, John Stockton and critiquing his play. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't happen. But in Magic, that that does. Right. Uh, it's, it's a weak, weak comparison, but I, you get what I'm getting. No, I, it's good because it shows that for him, I mean, he's always trying to learn something, right? So he has the humility, if I may generalize what you said, it's like he has yeah. the humility to to be able to do that because there's some chance that he could learn something from that exchange as opposed to just thinking that um, I already know everything. I, I don't need to know learn anything from you or from anybody else. And I think that's probably the reason why he could be a world champion or he is a world champion because he can do that right he can he can let the guards the guards down as it were right well yeah not only you know 
it's not having the ego to say, hey, you know, shut up. I know more than you. I'm so-and-so. But also having the confidence to take in what people are saying and know when, you know, what they're saying has no value. Right. You know, you have to have, be able to do both. And I've seen them where he'll just do that, you know, kind of creepy grin he has and just keep <laughs> his mouth and just keep his mouth shut, uh-huh. you know, which he'll do when, you know, he can tell people are saying stuff that either he already yeah. knows by heart or he knows is wrong. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean that that always just impressed yeah the hell out. Of it, me. it takes a lot of confidence and belief to just listen sometimes. Yes, absolutely. People don't realize that. People think yeah. the opposite. Yeah, to be the loudest one. There, or, yeah. Well, uh, uh, on the other side, though, that you're sitting there so engrossed listening to everything that somebody else um, is, is telling you about the subject because you don't know any better. And when it's when it's you know the opposite it's the you know the people that you know already have been there and done that who are still you know listening to everything everybody has to say on the subject um that's one of the rare times when both people get value out of the conversation it's uh because the 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 person you know talking to him you know, it gets their own value out of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, if, if nothing else, a great story, but, um, you know, and it's, and it works both ways in, in, in most cases, but I mean, to be fair in magic, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> there's so many passionate nerds going off all the time that there's so much signal to noise, Yeah. you know, I, you know, personally, I can't listen to it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't deal with these idiots running their mouth. I just, uh, I just don't want to hear it, but <laughs> that's, 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 that's my problem. Yeah. You know, it's not a good thing. Because, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, there's always something else, something you miss, something you can learn, something different. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, so, Damien, if I may, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and uh, kind of ask you uh, some uh, some questions in some other areas, if that's okay. Shoot. Okay. So, you. What have you learned from like really playing and thinking about magic over the years? Has there been something there that's that you've been able to apply as a metaphor for life or something that that goes beyond the game? Um, I think what I got I mean what I was talking about earlier um, about really letting things that don't matter go mm-hmm. uh, you know it doesn't start with magic. It it won't end with magic. 
so you know I, I once I sort of accepted um, that you know there were things that you know I had no control of um, you know what everyone calls variance now um, and that I was only willing to commit so far um, that I could only expect so much. Uh, so it sort of let me, um, and it's kind of, I think about it, it's kind of stupid of me that it took this long or that long to uh, apply this, but you know, you, you're only going to get out what you put put in, and once you realize that, you know whatever it is, uh, but you know, we're equating this to magic, uh, that you're only willing to put in this much, you know, and are well aware that if you only put in this much, you're only going to get out this much. It, it, it makes it really easy to accept the end result. Um, and I think, you know, you know, everything works like that to some degree. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're only willing to do this job, you're only going to get that much money. I, I, you know, if you're only willing to commit your so much to this relationship, it's only going to progress this far. Um, now everybody knows this um, at some level but what you know the results in magic sort of taught me is um, accepting that you know the things are going to be the way they are because of a decision you made at some point you know, you made the decision only to to do this for so long or so hard or invest this much in it, and you have to realize that you have to accept that this is the end result of that. Yeah, and you know, it's it sort of in a way it gives you an excuse um, to be mediocre, uh, but. You know, I, I've never thought of myself as being exceptional, so I'm kind of at peace with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think if you know a person can honestly accept that that's where they are, uh, you know, then you know they won't have any problems. Um, most most problems people have are unrealistic expectations um, or sure. either below or, or above um, their or actual below or above yeah. and then not being able to accept uh, the results of their actions um, mm-hmm. you know to realize that you did this you know you caused the situation yeah um, so you know I think it's a lot more direct in magic, you know, 
I mean, yeah, but, it's, a, it's a microcosm for something bigger. I mean, it's a game with uh, actual outcomes and results, but even then, it's still really hard sometimes for people to see that, right? And to be honest with themselves, even if it's just a game. So that that says how hard it is in general. Sure, and and you know, just like you know, comparing it to life, there, you know, even in Magic, if you have the you know, the 95-5 matchup, that's still 5% of the time you're losing, yep. you know? And, you know, that's just part of it all, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't think, uh, I don't know, I don't think a lot of people, while people can quote statistics um, and probabilities and understand what they mean, uh, that doesn't mean they ex- can accept them when they happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, see, so Damien, you mentioned a lot of good things about Magic and how it it's kind of helped you think about life and the game in in some ways. Uh, but I also want to know: are there some things that are there thing are there ways that the game has been harmful or detrimental to to you, like in any shape or form? Well. Contrary to recent opinion, I find it doesn't help with the ladies at all. <laughs> uh, nowadays, I guess uh, gaming culture is an actual accepted thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know. 15, 20 years ago, it was not. You know, I was definitely one of those guys that did not tell whoever I was seeing that uh, that I played Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to also remember, in the 90s, hell, people thought, like, Demonic Tutor was a satanic ode or something. You know, people thought that Magic was an actual demon game or some shit. I don't know. Um, so, I mean, there was actual stigma mm-hmm. outside of being the, the nerd, you know. Yeah. Um, but I would say even if you told someone in the 90s that you play Settlers of Catan, they would probably... Um, they would they might, like, roll, oh, they might roll their like eyes. Magic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sure. So, I mean, that's... I guess one thing, but also, uh, and like again, uh, Dan is a, a, a perfect example of this. It's very difficult when you know you work 50, 60 hours a week, and then you know you want to spend ten to twelve hours on one day off playing a tournament, and then like four hours another weeknight practicing for the tournament. To explain this to, you know, somebody who only wants to spend time with you, you know, um, so uh, so it's had some negatives to you in in your past experience then in relationships. I mean, no more than any other, you know, hobby that you take seriously. I mean, it's not. In my life, it's magic-specific, but, you know, in anyone's life, it could be, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't... I mean, but again, that was my choice, you know? 
And to be fair, uh, you know, a lot of the time I'd rather be at the tournament than be with her. You know? So, I, you know, I don't know how negative it was. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, other than that, um, I'd like to say money, but I, I, I mean, I've won more at Magic than I've ever spent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So as a whole, it doesn't sound that bad. It's it's something that you've enjoyed doing, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't still be doing it today. Yeah, uh, I oh I I did leave a very lucrative job because of magic. Um, oh, okay. Simply because I was working nights and weekends. Yeah. And I didn't like quit that job to play magic. I got another job where I wouldn't have to play. You know. Where I wouldn't have to miss playing Magic that paid less. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I wanted the nights and weekends off no matter what, but yeah, you know, that it definitely was a factor. Sure. Uh, I mean, but you know, these are all like just minor. Do you have any shoutouts or anything? Anything you wanna you wanna say? Um, just just to kind of uh, bookend this. Uh, shoutouts. I think I name dropped about fifty people, so yeah, I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, you know, uh, I I do want to say, just in case, uh, as sort of a, just a generic shout out, um, in case people have not paid attention uh, while following your broadcasts, the that the uh, mid-Atlantic area of the United States is probably um, for the past 20 years um, been the highest concentration of magic talent uh, on the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the names are endless and I think uh, you know, excellence breeds excellence, and I think one of the reasons why it's been so long in the same area is because the newer players playing the older players playing the newer players playing the older players uh, as it goes on, and everybody just gets better. I mean, once you decide to step into the competitive scene in this area, you're immediately facing a murder's row. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, it's, you know, you either, you know, it, it's, it is survival of the fittest. You either do well or you quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, like, as opposed to shout-outing for individuals, players, you know, um, I just wanted to point out, you know, if you look at where all these people keep saying they're from, mm-hmm. you know, it's all here. There's a trend. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Excellence uh, breeds excellence. Yep. Uh, so not that I'm saying I'm necessarily in that category, uh, but there are lots and lots of people who are. It's been a great conversation with you. I hope you've been, you've enjoyed it. I certainly learned a lot. Um, as I said in the beginning, for me, it's about 
it's about learning and uh, so thank you very much for doing this and I hope that uh, we can talk again sometime yeah no problem it was, uh, it was good talking to you man so uh, take care man alright you too have a good night enjoyed this episode of Humans of Magic. I would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better. You can find me on Twitter at James underscore Sue. That's James underscore H-S-U. Please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.